Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. I'm your host, Vidushin Nahantaraja, and I'm joined by Chief Football Writer of the Independent, Miguel Delaney, and Northern Football Correspondent, Mark Critchley. Uh, now, the weirdest European football season in history is back underway with the Champions League and Europa League competitions returning this week after their coronavirus-enforced hiatus. Manchester United are already safely through to the next knockout round after seeing off the mighty Alask on Wednesday evening with Wolves, Rangers, Manchester City and Chelsea all hoping to follow them over the coming days. Now, we'll start with the top-tier competition in the Champions League. Miguel... I'm going to start with you as a top-tier man as well. And Before we jump onto the runners and riders and the contenders for the Champions League, can you just walk us through what it's all going to look like? You've written about the problems of not only the Lisbon and German bubbles, but also these remaining last 16 ties with testing, various protocols to go through, and also just how it was going to look from the very beginning. Um, It just doesn't strike me as a particularly simple exercise, all told. Well, to be fair, I think at this point... The Lisbon and German mini World Cups, which is effectively what they are, I think they are relatively easy to, and I, I stress in the word relatively there, given the situation we're in. Um, I, I think they're relatively easy to pull off because, you know, obviously these are, in most cases, involved major clubs with massive money who can afford all this. And UEFA, of course, are a massively well funded organization. And, you know, they, they're, they're quite, it's much more controllable. Um, now, I suppose that shouldn't be taken for granted, given the uh, the problems that it seems pretty much all the US sports have had. But um, I suppose it's not the only difference in, in the USA at the moment as regards that. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think that's easier to execute. I think what's much more relevant to the future of European football is these knockout ties over the next few days, the way the second legs will go. Because... You know they're gonna they're they're involving what to be honest let's be fair what looked impossible only a few months ago which was cross border international travel for sport um, and given given all the variables and challenges that poses and uh, on Wednesday was or Tuesday UEFA released a whole load of new directives to try and kind of encounter this including stuff like if uh, the country of one of the clubs suddenly passes some sort of legislation that blocks um, a team entering at a time after it's been agreed between the two, it, it, they can be the, the, the host club can be thrown out of the competition. Now, I suppose in most cases, that will be overcome because as, we, as with Madrid in Manchester this weekend, um, elite sports teams are given special dispensation by the governments involved, even though, of course, uh, if you come back from Spain now, you face a 14-day quarantine which won't apply to Madrid. Um, but yeah, so I think this going through, the next few days going fairly hassle-free is going to be pretty important to the future European football. Although, because, I mean, if they if they plan full Europa League and Champions League in the future, 
they can't just do these mini tournaments. It's going to involve an awful lot of ties with an awful lot of smaller nations that don't have this money available. And I suppose that's maybe when it'll get fairly interesting or fairly indicative and why this the blueprint from these games is so important. Um, when, when you have essentially poor clubs trying to do the same thing in two months' time. Just because you've, you've mentioned it there, we might as well go into it in a bit of detail. Um, is that to say then that they, that with regards to UEFA and the Champions League, and you open next season, there is still a belief that they could have it as close to how it was before rather than this kind of, you know, throw them into a, a hub and, and thrash it out. The last I saw, now I might need updating on this, to be honest. Uh, I think they're going to they're gonna have um, one-legged group stages, possibly. I might need to check that, actually, to be honest. Um, is, this, is this is professional if I do this now? <laughs> <laughs> Well, while you do that, we'll come back to you because, um, yeah. Critch, you're going to be covering Manchester City tomorrow night. Uh, they play Real Madrid, the leading 2-1, those two away goals, all the more important. What are the noises at City? Are they particularly confident of um, of holding on to this league and, um, you know, toppling a big giant so soon? OK, well, let me just try and filibuster for Miguel here while he, uh, while he sort of... <laughs> Sorry, I have it, I have it. Go on, go on. It, it is going to be a regular season next year, yeah? They're going to well, that's, plan full travel. That's reassuring to know. Um, and, yeah, and, and on City, I think, um, given how the season's gone at, at the Etihad this year, I don't know if you would say they would be totally confident, but the lay of the land tomorrow night is that Madrid need to score two goals in order to have any chance of progression. Now, you'd say, given City's problems defensively this past season, um that isn't impossible whatsoever. And especially given how Madrid have certainly improved um, since that first leg at the Bernabeu in late February, they've, they look a different team now under, under Zidane and they've, uh, they're the Liga champions as well. But I think from City's point of view, I mean, that performance in at the Bernabeu back in February was probably their best of the season, certainly the most accomplished. And it felt actually like their first real defining night in the Champions League and in European football since, well, practically since the Shape Mansur project began. And, and that's even including um, the semi-final in, in 2016 when they went to the Bernabeu and lost. Uh, th- there are a few concerns for them, I suppose. There's no there's no Sergio Aguero and quite how Guardiola is going to square that circle isn't will be interesting to know because uh, he could either play Gabriel Jesus up front who was a player who was finding a bit of form towards the end of the season, but there's definitely questions there over just how many chances he seems to he seems to miss, basically. He's not the most clinical of, of strikers, even though he gets into very good positions a lot of the time. Um, I think there's a chance that Guardiola might actually do what he did at the Bernabeu and what he's done in quite a lot of games against top sides, where he plays somebody in a more of a kind of false nine role, in a more of a fluid front line. You might see Bernardo Silva, maybe even Kevin De Bruyne up in that up in that position. Um, maybe Jesus coming up in off the left. He was very effective there. I thought when he was when he was doing that late on against uh, against Madrid. Um, Sterling was very good in that game as well. So we'll probably see a combination of those. And they've got they've got Benjamin Mendy suspended as well, which isn't you wouldn't say is the biggest problem. But then left back has just been such a huge issue for them for so long. Um, they're either going to have to put Alexander Zinchenko or or Jacques Cancelo on the wrong right-sided, right-footed uh, player on the left-hand side, which isn't ideal either. So it'd be interesting to see how Guardiola gets around those, but we're still talking about a side that's got a lot of weaknesses as we've seen this season. 
But I think overall, given the advantage that they hold, given that they've got two away goals, I think they, they, you would favour them to go through, definitely. Migs, you were just furnishing us with some um, fancy Real Madrid-related Zidane facts ahead of this um, second leg. Uh, they're obviously, as Critch touched on, they're a, they're a different team to where they were, well, certainly in a different place to where they were um, after the first, or during the first leg, rather. Um, how do you see this going? Can you, can, do you reckon they can pull off a turnaround? I think City will go through, uh, but it'll be much more challenging than I would have thought after the first leg, which is now almost six months ago, which is insane. Uh, but I think, uh, as Critch alluded to there, um, Madrid have gone through more transformation in that period than uh, you would even expect over six months. Uh, first of all, they're now champions, so that's a massive psychological change, especially for players like well, Sergio Ramos will be playing in this game. But like, he, he, he pretty much led my intro here on this piece of Madrid. He's someone that basically loves to be able to call himself a champion. Uh, and I, it's one of those things that sort of does change the, the mindset of elite sportsmen. They've also transformed physically in that they're a much better place now than they were in February. Like if you, that, that, that game in February, the, the two undefeated City, was one of four losses in seven that Madrid had at that time. And they only won two games. Um, like so, so they were really uncertain. Um, now, since then, I think... As well, I mean, as regards to the mental point as well, um, I think Zidane has been really key. And there's obviously been big questions about Zidane's ideology of a manager and all the rest of it. But I think at this point, it's difficult to dispute that he's the perfect personality for this Madrid squad. Uh, and I think apparently that particularly came across in lockdown. You basically had, I suppose, a lot of young men as anxious as the rest of us about the situation. And Zidane was meant to be really impressive. And that kind of just calm focus he has, that almost kind of unflappability was said to be really big in lockdown for players. And that then obviously transmitted itself into um, into their return where they won 10 games in a row. But also I think they used lockdown to get physically very, very sharp. I mean, a lot of people in football praise Madrid as having the best physical department in the game. Uh, Zidane actually, he lost faith in their previous um, fitness or conditioning guy, um, Antonio Pintus last summer and brought in Gregory Dupont who worked with the French squad at the 2018 World Cup. Uh, he's known as a McGregor among the Madrid squad for his kind of devotion to fitness and trying out loads of different techniques. And it, that work became really apparent once they were back. From, and it's one of those things, I suppose, that they can, we're playing, clubs can get an edge in a situation like lockdown when they couldn't train together. So that obviously helped. Uh, and it, it all just added up to Madrid just looking. They were different. In, they're different in almost every aspect of February, mentally, physically, and in terms of form. Uh, in saying that, this is a different situation than Zidane has actually ever faced. Um, in nine previous Champions League ties, the two-legged ties, obviously the, we, know, we all understand he's never lost a two-legged tie, but he's also only been behind once going into the second leg, and that was in his second tie against Wolfsburg in 2015-16. Uh, they lost 2-0 away Madrid and then, of course, beat Wolfsburg 3-0 in one, one of those utterly predictable games. 3-0 uh, <laughs> at the Bernabeu, Ronaldo scoring all the, a la Madrid, all the rest of it, um, as, as they did dismiss some fodder. But this obviously is a very different proposition. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it, uh, it, it, it's, it's one that Zidane... It's really a challenge that Zidane hasn't faced as a manager before. And, to, and he, so he pretty much has to outthink Guardiola, which I think is, is 
it's a pretty big ask. And maybe this is putting too cute a point on it, but do you think the um, you know someone like Dupont can have a say? Obviously, they'll need to you know get through this tie first. But do you think someone like Dupont can have a more pronounced say in how Real Madrid do, given that they're about to enter into a, as you said, a World Cup style competition, having come from the national team, or having from from national football rather with France and and obviously a World Cup. Well, that's the thing, yeah, and and so both Deschamps and a lot of the French backroom staff particularly praised um, Dupont for Spence's conditioning in that World Cup. And if you remember by the time, by the final, now I suppose part of this was due to the fact that Croatia were always going to be more stretched because they didn't have as much quality as, as uh, France. But by the second half of that final, Croatia were absolutely on their legs, whereas France kind of just looked the same. Um, and mm. that's obviously testament to the work of Dupont as well. And again, that could be key if you're trying to design a fitness program so you peak over a two-week mini World Cup which is what, what the next two weeks will be. But of course, they have to get there first. Just, Chris, before I, um, well, before before we move on to uh, to Chelsea, um, Miggs has written about Kevin De Bruyne today. Um, obviously, an incredible player and certainly someone that you know we'll we'll talk about as being one of the best players of this Premier League generation. But do, do you think his his wider quote unquote legacy relies on having? you know, a big say in this, and I suppose the back end of the Champions League and emerging with it as a City player with the winner's medal himself. Yeah, well, I've actually written about this myself in the past as well. I think when we did our, um, we did our series on like the 100 greatest players of the 21st century back in October and and um, I did like a piece on De Bruyne and just pointing out really that, because that was when he just made that start to the season where I think he'd racked up maybe even nearly half of the assists they actually finished with. And he was looking like he was going to set, you know, an unprecedented record. And he, he just he equaled Thierry Henry's in the end, uh, just fell short of breaking it. But I pointed out then that he was 28. He's now 29. He's turned 29 this summer. Um, he's, he's getting to that age now where these next couple of years, whether it's this season, whether it's next season, you're looking for him to, you know, I think we had him at about 60th in that list or something like that. And if you're looking to really place him into the top, like 20 or 10 or whatever, which is where he probably deserves to be based on his on his natural ability, he does need to probably add those kind of, you know, honours to his, to his record, if you like. Um, and I remember writing at the time that this was going to be a crucial kind of two or three year period because you had... Yes, the Champions League this season. You probably have the Champions League next season as well, but that's likely to be Guardiola's last unless anything changes and there's no real indication yet whether it will. Of course, at the time, there was the prospect of the Champions League ban. That's not a problem anymore. And um, the sense was that De Bruyne was always going to stay at City, um, certainly certainly the last few months. It was, he was going to stay whatever the result was. But um, And then, you know, there's the... There was the Euros that were supposed to be this summer, now next summer, and then you'll have the World Cup. So it does feel like there's a kind of two or three period here where, you know, he's ultimately, this is where his legacy is going to be defined. Um, I think personally that having watched him regularly week in, week out, he is the most talented footballer that I've ever seen live in the flesh. It's as simple as that. He is the best player in the Premier League by some distance, has been for years now, even when he's had various spells, difficulties with injuries. And he just needs, perhaps, <laughs> I'm always a bit reluctant to say that players need medals or whatever to prove it because, you, you know, you can see with your own eyes how good they are. And I think they should be almost judged on their ability. If, if we're talking on an individual basis, they should be judged on their own ability rather than anything else because it's a team sport and they don't necessarily control whether Manchester City 
they don't alone control whether Manchester City or whoever they play for wins the Champions League. But at the same time, if you if he wants to be considered in those, you know, in that on that rarefied level, along with like, you know, name and Messi, Ronaldo, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, Xavi, Iniesta, then he probably does need to add a few more continental and international medals to his collection. I, I did a piece yeah. this yesterday specifically on um, on De Bruyne in that regard, and I, I think you're right. I think I mean, first of all, it's absolutely amazing with City that. Um, they've had a one semi-final like De Bruyne at the age of 29 has played in one Champions League semi-final and the same applies obviously to Sergio Aguero David Silva and all basically the stars of this era and that's actually quite rare in modern football because basically all, all the big clubs are in the in the Champions League now so often they're, they're almost guaranteed a decade there and the nature of it means all the stars are going to be in the competition as well so it's actually it's basically increasingly difficult to not have a few defining performances in the competition in fact in the in the last decade, the only like world stars that probably haven't got that are, as well as those Manchester City stars, maybe Hazard, who they face, uh, Ibrahimovic, and maybe Robin van Persie. Uh, and of course, as, as Critch alluded to there, some of that is circumstantial. City have obviously had their own kind of like long nights of the soul in the Champions League and this kind of adjustment with it. And the, and there has been cases where De Bruyne has been absolutely brilliant. I think I think a key example of that is last season's win over Spurs when he had a hat-trick of assists. Two of them, two of the assists were absolutely brilliant. But of course, they didn't get through because of VAR, because of millimetres, because of teammates missing chances, something that's become a key for him this season. Um, and I suppose the, the, the romanticised counter-argument is that if you're going to be a great, you impose your will even in those situations. And, and that's partially true, but isn't... It isn't it's not that simple. I mean, because both both Messi and Ronaldo, for all we're going to talk about their greatness, they've had situations where in the Champions League, no matter how they've played, they've just succumbed. Like, they, you know, events have gone out of their control. And I suppose the key here isn't imposing your will in impossible situations. It's actually, it's maybe more perseverance. And that's what De Bruyne has. Um, and I think he's aware of all this. Um, but I, I actually do agree with Chris. I think while you should judge a player on his ability alone when it comes right down to it, when we're really separating the best it, it also comes down to the application of that ability at the top level and, and you, do, you do need I mean, ultimately you know more about a player and you can tell more if that ability is tested at the absolute top level and that has only been the case in a few examples with the Bruyne maybe only the 2018 World Cup so it would certainly be nice to see to, to see the team go with him for or see him drag the team further uh, and, and we get a real assessment of it. And I mean, even it's, I was thinking about this in relation to one of his Belgian teammates the other day. I mean, Vertonghen, we, we all know what a good defender he was at absolute peak. And yet he's leaving Spurs and may well retire with literally nothing to show for his career outside a few individual honours. Like, that's mad for a player of his talent to do that. Um, and while De Bruyne obviously has a few league titles and, and domestic cups now, given his talent, he should really have. I mean, he should have a Champions League, um, and I, but, I, but of course I, I think he's, he's fully aware of this, uh, and I expect him to be very good on, on Friday. Well, City aren't the only team uh, left in the Champions League. Uh, we do have Chelsea, of course, but they are three 0 down to Bayern after that first leg home defeat. I was actually at that game, and I was due to head to Munich for that second leg, which seemed a foregone conclusion until, well, I suppose that Friday beforehand when everything got called to a halt. Um, Migs, you were there at the FA Cup on Saturday. 
obviously they lost to Arsenal, um, which was a bit of blow for Frank Lampard and his quote-unquote project and a boost for Arteta's quote-unquote project. But what did you make of them then? And I suppose what can they get out of this game against Bayern Munich? Um, Road testing a few young players. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to say there's absolutely no chance Chelsea going through, but <laughs> there's no yeah. chance. Yeah, I know, yeah. I, I, but I had to ask, you know. I, we had we had to mention them. It's just, it's almost. It just, there's actually, there, I mean, even beyond the fact that three 0 down, another little interesting stat here. O- up until last season, there only been six occasions in the history of European football or the history of the European Cup and Champions League. So over sixty years, where a team had gone through having having lost a first leg at home. So like Inter Bayern in 2011 was the most recent example. Until last season, when it happened three times, United did it to PSG, Spurs did it to Ajax, and Ajax did it to Real Madrid. Um, but none of them were three 0 down. Um, so even allowing for the recent insanity of the Champions League and the the oddness of this current situation, it's just it's it's not going to happen, is it? But with regards to, I suppose, the FA Cup, I know it, it feels like it, it was ages ago. But just on that, were you were you surprised at kind of how? How they fared, I think after that first goal, a lot of us were thinking, right, they're just going to, you know, a Chelsea of old would have rammed this home. But, yeah, that didn't, obviously wasn't the case. Uh, I think they were a bit knackered. Um, uh, I think there was a bit of football, a bit, a bit of the situation begin, began to apply itself, just how much football they played in the last few weeks. That could be seen in the injuries. Lampard alluded to that after the game. Uh, and also, let's, I, mean, I think Lampard deserves some criticism himself here. I mean, to be fair, everything that could have gone wrong for him on the day did go wrong for them, including decisions gone against him. But it's, it is remarkable that two years into his managerial career now and Lampard is suffering the same mistakes, he's suffering from the same problems than he did in his first day as Derby manager, which is a team that's almost hopelessly incapable of defending against breaks. Yeah, yeah. Um, Critch, before we end this section... Obviously, I mentioned to Bayern Munich, who are thrown up in this tie. Um, assuming they do go through, which I think we all agree they will, probably one of the favourites to win it. Um, obviously, they've sewed up the Bundesliga, it seems like an age ago, so they've had a bit of time to themselves to kind of prep up. But, yeah, are they, um, are they a standout to, uh, to live the Champions League at the end of all this? I think you'd rank them alongside City. I think it's, I think it's interesting that I was feeling before... At the time of the first legs, back in February, which, like Miguel said, was six months ago now, so basically a different world, it did feel like they were being underrated slightly compared to perhaps City, PSG. And then we saw the performance at Stamford Bridge. You know, people woke up to this, um, the, the talent that kind of Alfonso Davies is and, and other players, and they've and they I think they've won every game that they played in the Bundesliga since restart. And it, now it does feel like they're being slightly overrated, perhaps. And I say that only really because the way the draw panned out. Because if you look at the draw, you look at the bracket for the rest of the tournament, rah, there is definitely a good side to be on and a bad side to be on. And Bayern, I'd say, are probably on the bad side. Because I think, uh, I th- I think I'm right in saying that the, the quarterfinal will probably be Barcelona and Napoli now. Barcelona are in no way the team that they once were and you'd expect them to get through that, but they do have City on their side of the draw. They do have Juventus, who we have questions about, but they're on that side of the draw as well. If they'd, if they'd fallen on the other side, you'd fancy them against 
basically anyone there. But, you know, a potential semi-final against City, I'm not sure whether they come through that. And so, you know, that would almost be the final before the final if it gets to that. So we'll see. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I, I rank them probably second favourites behind City. But, again, though their chances have been affected by just how the, just how the draw has panned out. Cool. Well, we're going to take a super short break and we'll see you in a bit. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast, where we were discussing the return of European football and still are, actually. We've gone through the Champions League. Now on to the Europa. Um, as we mentioned earlier, Manchester United are through to the quarterfinals after seeing off Lask, without too much trouble in the last 16. Critch, you were at Old Trafford last night. How was it? Um, it was dull. <laughs> there wasn't a lot riding on it, let's be totally honest. Uh, yeah, pretty. the first half particularly was pretty turgid stuff. Um, but look, like I said, not a lot riding on it. United had already done the job um, like back in March. Uh, yeah, 5-0 so, in, in the first leg, sorry, I should have said. Yeah, 5-0 in the first leg, 2-1 last night, 7-1 on aggregate. Um, so, yeah, it, and also Solskjaer, he named basically the same team that played in the 5-0. And I guess you'd say that your main takeaway from it was that for all the talk about how well they've played over the last six months, there's still not really that level of squad depth there that you'd that you'd want if they're going to not only really live up to these this talk about a title challenge potentially next season, but also just the fact that they're going to be playing in the Champions League next year. And so that's probably going to mean they're going to need to play a first-choice 11 every three days, twice a week. Um, so, <laughs> you know, maybe I, I, I'm determined to try and keep this a Jadon Sancho free podcast today, but, you know, perhaps <laughs> that we need to... we the, that it showed that they they need to go into this market this summer, and even though there's going to be it's going to be very different, there's going to be certain limitations, and they are conscious of how much money they're going to spend. I think um, the need the need for some reinforcements was there, and that was that was on show last night. Makes you've been um, it's, it says in the script script you've been as critical as anyone on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Not you know not without reason. It should be said. Um, does he deserve some credit to where they are right now, or is it just Bruno Fernandes and flogging the same eleven players over and over and over again? I think it's still a little hard to say, given how odd the season has been. And I think, in some ways, the break actually played into United because it meant they were obviously whatever Solskjaer does, and he's talked about this in internal meetings. His his idea of football is basically being able to is based on being able to run an absolutely full pelt. Uh, so that meant they were very good when they first came back. 
with that naturally trailing off. And it's, so it's, it's, it is really over, and this has been a story of his time so far. So it is really over the longer term and a full season where we're going to get a full picture. Done. I don't think we have a full picture yet. Um, I still have a lot of doubts, but you have to give him some credit as well. And I think what is important here is that maybe a little bit like Zidane in that sense, in that he has a personality. Uh, now, there's still questions over other aspects of the management, but he has a personality which is very well suited to this job. And one thing that has to be said, actually, all the players really like him and really like playing for him. Now, one who didn't was Lukaku, uh, but that was because basically Solskjaer was going to shun them out. Uh, so it could actually be interesting how, how that plays out in in the Europa League if they come up against each other, and also with the Sanchez dynamic and all that. But the players like playing for him. They do seem to respond well to him. So I think he does deserve credit for that, I have to say. How important do you think then this you know lifting the Europa League will be obviously United have secured Champions League football but it's still you know do you think it's still something that I suppose above all else will kind of prove to himself that he is the man to to take the club forward yeah I think it'll mean more than say when they won the Europa League in 2017 bizarre even because even obviously that came first of all it was the emotional aspect because they came just two days after the Manchester bombing Uh, so there, there was something bigger about that win um, and also, of course, it meant that they completed the set of European trophies. But in terms of the trajectory of the club and the manager, winning it this year will mean more in this sense because Solskjaer obviously doesn't have a major trophy. A lot of these players don't have major trophies. Uh, so it's kind of one of those, a little bit like Arsenal at the weekend, it's one of those kind of you know, psychological landmarks in the, in the, in the trajectory of the team that indicates they're going in, in the right direction and, and, and can often kind of cause them to go up a level. So from, from that perspective... At, at the least, I'd say it could be bigger than 2017. Chris, you've lot, you've watched a lot of Manchester United this season. Um, do you, do you think they're right to be favourites for this? Um, yeah, uh, it's difficult to say. I think that you look at some of the other teams in the competition. You know, Inter came within one point of the Serie A title, and we can debate about the um, standard of play in Serie A versus the Premier League, but. They got about 20 points more than United. Um, they were an actual title contender rather than an also-ran, well, not even in the race in United's, in United's case. Um, so you probably look, and even though they <laughs> even though they kind of resemble a team that was like built out of Football Manager 2007 with like, you know, Victor Moses and uh, Alexis Sanchez and, you know, uh, <laughs> all these other kind of 30-odd-year-olds that Antonio Conte likes to sign. I think that they would definitely, you'd definitely pick them out as the biggest threat. Um the thing is with them is that they're on the other side of the draw and a game like the Champions League is almost a good and a bad side of the draw. They'd be on Inter, probably on the good one. United, probably on the bad one, you'd say. Um, given that, I think I'm right in saying, let me just double check, but I think I'm right in saying that if they got through against Copenhagen on Monday night, there's potential for any one of uh, Roma, who ended the season very well in Italy. They got, uh, they're got playing Seville. Or they could play Wolves, or they could play Olympiacos, who I think went unbeaten in Greece. Don't don't quote me on that though, maybe. Um, but yeah, the, like especially Roma, Seville, Wolves. Even though Wolves ended the season quite poorly, you'd say any potential semi final is going to be pretty difficult. So I think I, I'd, I'd probably put United about second favourites. Um, yeah, I think I think that's probably a fair assessment, especially when you consider that not as much is riding on it now, and it definitely you know Solskjaer is, is kind of paying a bit of lip service to the competition and saying, no, it's a trophy and we want to win it and talking about how big a first trophy would be. And I agree with what Miguel just said there about on that. But 
it doesn't have the same onus riding on it as it would have done if they'd finished fifth. That's that's just simply it's, that's that's just the case. That's just a fact. And um, even though I think he's going to probably revert to that that first choice eleven that we saw a lot of uh, during the during the restart, I, I still I still think um, yeah, there's not it, it's not as it doesn't carry as much weight as it otherwise would have done, and you perhaps think that maybe there'll be a bit, little bit of slack there, and and maybe they won't just get get it over the line. But we'll see. Meeks, what what do you reckon of of Wolves? Critch mentioned them just there. They obviously had an outstanding season domestically, and fell away at the um, you know from project restart, I suppose. But they kind of have everything in place. They've got a shrewd manager. They've got some exceptional players. Uh, perhaps, perhaps an outside bet for for the Europa League, especially given the format it's going to be played in? Well, it's kind of ironic because if this was a normal season, you would have expected Wolves to be on their feet, to be honest, because they kind of extend the, especially going into March, April, you know, with the slog of the Europa League. Whereas the the coronavirus crisis might have, in football terms, played into their hands because A, it gave suddenly gave them this big, long break. B, it then, it then meant... In a, in a, for a club that hasn't been kind of isn't used to having to um, spread priorities like that, it meant they had the league and then the European competition split, so they could concentrate on one and the other. Uh, and yet, what's actually happened is, as Chris said, there they kind of died down in the league a little bit. And I, I was at their last game against Chelsea, and they were pretty disappointing. There wasn't much to them, so I think that will pose a fair few questions about this. And I wouldn't be all that confident of them going through against Olympiacos. I think they should do it, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be massively sure. Right before I let you both go, we're going to need predictions on the CL and EL from you both. So, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Champions League winner and Europa League winner, go. Champions League winner will be mm, oh, Manchester City. I feel like it's just kind of written after the season that they've had, and yeah, I think it would. It, it's just narrative. It's the narrative choice, isn't it? And we're we're all here for the narrative, so. <laughs> Um, and uh, Europa League, well, I guess I just said that United weren't actually favourites and I fancied Inter, so I suppose I'm going to have to go with Inter Milan to beat United in the final, but yeah, okay. It could be either of those right. two, to be honest. Fair days. Uh, Migs? Uh, I would have gone for City to win the Champions League, except I think that side of the draw will cause everyone on us to be almost fatigued by the end, giving whoever's on the other side a chance, even the fact that everyone on that side has, has to play their last 16 games first. So I'm going to go with Atletico Madrid for the Champions League. Uh, and I'm going to agree with Critch and go for Inter for the Europa League. All about size of the draw this week. Right, that's all we've got time for this week, I'm afraid. Miguel, Critch, thank you for joining me and thank you guys for listening as well. If you are a new listener, please subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you listen from. And leave us a rating as well because that will help more people find us. Be sure to follow Indie Sport and Indie Football on various social media platforms to keep up to date with everything that's going on and everything our writers are writing about. Uh, But until next week, we'll see you soon and enjoy your feast of European football. 